When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, November 15th, the Grandma's Baggage Edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm the editorial director of Slate Podcasts, and I'm the father of Leo, who is four, and Eliza, who is seven. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is 15 and a half, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. And I'm Carva Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 13, and Ezra, who is 15. Today on our show, we have a question from a mother who is fed up trying to work around her husband's night shift schedule. And another about a three-year-old who is being a jerk to his grandma. Plus, as always, we're going to have triumphs and fails. We're going to have recommendations on Slate+. Plus. Will O'Remus will join us to present a classic parenting conundrum. What do you do with a sick kid when both parents have to work? Uh, to hear that segment, uh, you should be a member of Slate+. Plus. First, let's do triumphs and fails. Rebecca, triumph, fail, what do you got? I've got a triumph. And full disclosure, I've been saving this one because I felt really bad about rolling it out on one of Carvel's fail weeks where he talked about Ezra and school and his interventions and so forth. Because Teddy, it seems, is turning this shit around. Uh, I had his parent-teacher conference a couple weeks ago, and it was the very first time in the history of parent-teacher conferences that involved my son, Teddy Lavoie, where I left the building feeling fantastic in every regard. Um, he is doing fine. His grades are like in the you know 80s or whatever, and it's so easy to say. And I'm totally doing my best to let all this other stuff go about like what he could be doing and his potential and so forth. But I'm just like, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's found a baseline. He's hit a groove. All of his teachers says he's a pleasure to have in class. He participates. He's not missing all of his assignments. He's missing like one or two here or there. Uh, he actually asked to retake a test that he didn't do well on and retook it and did fine. And this has really been independent of any other kind of intervention on our part. You know, we set him up with tutoring last year. He still goes once a week, but only for a very short period of time just to sort of check in with somebody who's helping him with uh, getting, making sure his assignments are done. But because he's so busy doing driver's ed and the play, he's missed a bunch of tutoring sessions. He's, it seems, and this is the word from his teachers, feels like he's enjoying being at school and seems like he's just doing the minimum, like showing up at his job and doing his job. And, you know, is he like going to be the president of the Honor Society? No. But for me, he is the president of the Honor Society just in this feedback, just in hearing that, like, he seems happy. He's engaging. Everybody seems to think that he's actually participating. I don't know. It was just really great. And uh, I, I'm sure it sounds like I'm a crazy person for just being like, oh, your kid is doing what they're supposed to do. It's a triumph. But it really is. And if you've ever attended any of the previous parent-teacher conferences I've had over the years that have really been exercises in uh, really like a difficult kind of 
frustration and just like, we know your son is smart, but he doesn't do X, Y, or Z. It just feels really good to leave the building feeling like good. Um, and that's what happened. And um, I don't know. I'm just really feeling fantastic about it. And I'm so happy for Teddy, most of all. It's his, his triumph. He owns it. And I, I can't say I've done anything differently this year other than completely take my foot off the gas. And if you're in a situation like I've been all these years, that, I guess, is a tactic worth trying to do. Take your foot off the gas. Stop trying to make things happen. Just let them fail or succeed on their own uh, terms. And sometimes, I guess, kids are capable of just starting to figure it out, which is where he is right now. That's great. That does yeah. seem like good yeah. advice. Yeah, I agree with that advice 100%. I mean, I yes, that's been my experience, too, is that you, at a certain point, you have to take your foot off the gas just because having it on there isn't making anything happen anymore. <laughs> it's just creating a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? It might, it might not be that taking it off is making anything happen, but, like, it's not having it on isn't making anything happen either. And you're just, like, exerting unnecessary force and energy and damaging your relationship with your loved one. And at a certain point, you just kind of got to... You just gotta like let the chips fall where they may. You're so, uh, right. yeah, you're, you're flooding that. the engine. You got you got to take your foot off the <laughs> gas. And you got to pull, pull out the choke. I, I like I and, mean, and I was then, gonna I was like I was gonna try and go deep on the car yeah. metaphors, and then I was like, none of us need yeah. that. It's po- uh, it's right po- right it's also possible you have a faulty <laughs> alternator. You might want to take that in <laughs> and have somebody look at it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what that would be in metaphorical terms, um, and I don't know anything else about cars. Sometimes uh, your bushing is damaged. You just don't know. You know. <laughs> no idea. Oh, might be overheated radiator. I think that's a thing that can happen sometimes. Uh, it's my it's CV hard. joints, guys. Yeah, it's the yeah. CV joint. Could, could be. Um, I have a I have a fail. It it it's a slightly like uh, Rebecca's. This one is is from a couple weeks ago. I I had some more spectacular fails uh, more recently, but this one. Uh, it's from Halloween season. During Halloween season, of course, there's a lot of uh, talk about spooky monsters, and my kids are very interested in watching cartoons about monsters and seeing Mickey Mouse meet the monsters and then get scared for a minute and then not be scared anymore because they're friendly monsters or whatever. In any case, um, Eliza was asking me some question, and, and she said, Dad, uh, why does Frankenstein have bolts in his head or something like that? Uh, and and I, I wasn't thinking. I, I just I, – I was – paying attention to something else, and I just reflexively said to her, uh, actually, his name is Frankenstein's monster. (laughs) (laughs) And I saw the look. What a douche. I saw the look on her face. I I saw the look on her face. The look at first of dismay at having gotten something wrong and being corrected, and then secondly of being in possession of a piece of knowledge that meant that most people around you are wrong. And I knew that I had set her on the bad path that I myself have been struggling with for my entire life. <laughs> and I said, but it's really important that you don't become a person who corrects other people about that the way I just did. Oh, do, do as I say, it's not as I late. do. And I don't know if I got it across. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that she's going to be correcting all of her classmates about uh, how, how you should refer to, to, to Frankenstein's monster for the rest of time. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> you should. What you should do though is teach her how important it is to say, "But actually, before but actually, she uh, shares the key this knowledge." Part is the actually. <laughs> I, it just. <laughs> the thing is, I know better, but there's some that the part of me that still. Does, I need to be paying attention all the time to make sure I yeah. don't do shit like that. It's so terrible. Yeah. 
I mean, you just you you defaulted. To, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it yeah. happened. It's in yeah. us. In an unguarded moment, we reveal yes. who we really are, we reveal and that's what I did. The truth of who we are. We are nerd mansplainers. That's who we are. We are. <laughs> Actually, <Ugh>. um, <laughs> so too. All yeah. right. Carvel, um, how about you? Triumph or fail? I have a fail. I feel like I've been I've been thinking a lot about triumphs and fails lately and how like I know that we say we do fails because we know that parents always feel like they're messing up and we don't want anyone to feel like they're alone. But then lately I've been thinking about why like maybe I should categorize maybe I should just have a positive outlook on what I'm doing and you know and like think of everything as a as a as like a triumph, even the things we're struggling with. And I was thinking that. But then I had this week which reminded me, oh no, that's actually like a fail. So I um People know that we're having these wildfires in California, and they're terrible. Like, they're really bad. And one of the pieces of them that's really bad is that the air quality in the Bay Area is horrific. Uh, the The air quality index on Friday in Oakland was something like 180-something. By comparison, the air quality index in New York City today is like 53 and that's 180 that's parts per million of like non good bad shit in the in the air that you shouldn't be breathing <clears throat> and uh and the it's like there's particles there's there's carbon monoxide there's nitrogen and then there's ozone those are all the things they measure and there's a bunch of that stuff in the air because of the fires and they say that after 151 it's like a risk like you shouldn't really be outside in general and so on friday we were like at 180 something and it was really bad <clears throat> and one of the things about like watching this whole thing happen is that w we collectively engage in these huge levels of denial like people are still jogging like i'm at the lake and people are jogging and i'm like why why are they jogging? <laughs> because like we have this thing where we're like Nope, nothing's everything's fine like there's not a problem here it's like meanwhile literally there are enough particles in the air to damage your lungs permanently and people are still out engaging in strenuous exercise. It's a weird phenomenon that I've observed and kind of been troubled by over the, and like none of the, no, no one wants to close anything. Schools weren't canceled. Monday was Veterans Day. Anyway, but so there's just this weird thing where people continue to try and like go forward knowing that they shouldn't because no one wants to admit that there's a problem. And that's how we got in this situation in the first place. So, I, on Friday, was like, was making the classic mistake of being like, it smells like a campfire. It's not ideal, but I'm sure it's fine. And then over the weekend, I had a bunch of friends of mine posting stuff on Instagram and like just being adamant, like, actually, this is not fine. This is really serious. You shouldn't be out breathing this. You definitely need to be wearing a mask. And I, and I, I was doing like the old like thing of being like people who are wearing masks are being ridiculous. Like we just, just like, just walk it off. You know, just like I ever like reverted to my old like Southwestern Pennsylvania steel town, just walk it off approach to everything. And, but then as the weekend progressed, I started realizing, well, wait a second. So then I started Googling and like doing all this research and I was like, hold up, this is actually terrible. Like why? So then I was like, I should get masks and the kids should have masks. Like, what are we doing? And for the most part, the kids were fine. Ezra did walk home from school on Friday and he thought it was really cool looking the way the light was all like weird and because it's smoky and hazy and all that. But like he, it's like a 25 minute walk home from school in an air quality index of like 180 something. It's like not good. So Monday they don't have school because they go to public schools. 
And then Tuesday comes along, and on Monday, a friend of mine texts me and is like, so there's only this one mask that you should use. All the other masks are basically bullshit. So, of course, all the, the masks that you can use got sold out within the first, like, two, three days of the fires. So Monday, Tuesday comes along, and I'm like, everyone should be wearing masks. And so on Monday, a friend of mine texted me like, oh, I, I, I was able to get these masks. My, some friend ordered them from out of state. We have a box. Do you want some for you and your kids? I was like, yes. So I go to my friend's house. I get the masks. And then I go to Georgia was already at school, but I go to get Ezra. And I'm like, dude, I have these masks. You should wear one. And he's like, dad. I don't need a mask. And I'm like, no, you don't, you totally need one. These are the numbers. This is the mathematics of it. He's like, dad, don't you think you're being a little ridiculous? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm like sitting there wearing a mask. I'm like, no, I'm not being ridiculous. This is permanent damage. He's like, dad, what does that mean? Permanent damage. And we get into this fight and he just won't believe me. And I'm like Googling stuff and I'm showing him numbers. And he's like, I mean, I'll take the mask, but I'm not going to wear it because it looks stupid. And I realized I had no way of convincing him. Like, none, mm. that this was serious. Like, even though it, because I just learned it was serious like a day earlier. And so, like, my whole life I've been, so he's been imitating, I've been modeling this behavior of, like, it's fine, don't overreact, walk it off. And then I finally get woke about one thing, and then the next day I try to, like, <laughs> convince my son that it's serious, and he just won't hear it. I ended up giving him the mask, but he, I don't think he's wearing it. He walked to school this morning, and I just was like... It just was this weird thing where I felt completely powerless. And I remembered I used to have arguments with my mother like this when I was a teenager. She would say something was serious and I'd be like, Mom, really? That's just the news trying to stress you out. Like, that's just ridiculous. And like, just that unwavering obnoxiousness of adolescence, my own kid was doing it. And it was around something that I thought was relatively serious. Today, the air quality index or yesterday it was 167. Today it's better. It's at 149, which is technically okay, quote unquote, according to the federal standards, which always end up being wrong later. Hmm. And it's just like this super stressful thing. And I felt like I could, I had no way to convince him to take it seriously. And I still haven't been able to. So that's my fail. I don't know what the right thing to do would have been, but I'm just aware that I'm powerless to like, convince my son that this is serious and the reason i'm talking about him is that georgia mostly gets it she's also the, her school's not making her go outside so she kind of gets to school she doesn't walk to school she takes i drive her to school she goes to school she like you know she's inside but ezra's the one who has this long walk to and from school and he just refuses to wear a mask during it so i don't know it feels like it'll be basically impossible to change his mind until like every other kid in his high school is wearing the masks like, right. like what you're fighting against is like the adolescent desire not to do anything that will make you look very weird to people around you, which that's a really powerful force that you're fighting against. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's exactly right. And I mean, it's also like that was the thing that because he, he kept saying because like literally you walk outside and only one of every 10 people is wearing a mask. Yeah. And so it's, it really is like a, this tremendous distraction, the fact that ev no one is taking it seriously, even though it even though it's like it seems like it's pretty serious. But everyone's sort of like, I don't feel anything. I don't smell anything. It seems fine. It's like the most it's like the most accurate example of like our culture's weird uh, like hang up on ignoring things until they become so bad you can't ignore them. It's like that's what I feel like I'm watching happening, and it's really frustrating. 
it's also like a it's a microcosm too of like the unregulated landscape. I mean, there, I mean, when I was very little, like there was no seatbelt law. There were cars that didn't have seatbelts, right. and then it became a law, and now everybody has them. And what was remember the right. argument against wearing seatbelts is like Absolutely. they're not cool and they mess up my clothes. Like that was like totally. the legit reason why people didn't use them. <laughs> and then it became a law, and no one was is saying like that's a terrible law, but right. people do say like we shouldn't have all these regulations. Like we don't need right. them. We need to make choices. Yeah, well, sometimes it's also good to not be thrown out of your car if your car crashes and (laughs) you know i don't know i mean i know that in other countries that just the use of masks is just much more accepted you know it's just very different here yeah and i mean people aren't going to want to like admit that there's a major because like wearing masks is like that's like dystopian future and nobody wants to like truly admit dystopian future looking stuff that's aesthetically it's too dystopian no one wants it but i'm just like it's (laughs) i mean it's not going to be this way forever like there are wildfires the air is screwy you can look at it mathematically and see it's not like a secret. And so while there's while the air quality index is like in the 140s, 50s and 60s, wear a freaking mask. Like, why is that even a thing? But and why is Ezra it, like not able to just take the mask, tell you he's wearing it and then just not wear it like a normal kid would? I mean, well, he's sort of because, question. well, because he's like he, he can't, he's not he doesn't like to lie. I mean, if he doesn't believe in something, he'll let you know, <laughs> which I which I appreciate about that, that about him. <laughs> I think he'd have to be pretty scared of his dad to want to lie rather than to use it as an opportunity to demonstrate that he knows much better than his stupid dad with his That's stupid right. mask. That's right. He, he wants to engage in debate with me. He wants to argue yeah. me down. Yeah. yeah totally. Great. Lucky you. Lucky, lucky yeah, I you. Know. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question that you would like us to tackle, you can leave us a message on our voicemail line, 424-255-7833, or you can send us an email, momanddadatslate.com. We need your questions to make this show. Uh, We have a Facebook group. Go to Facebook, search for Slate Parenting. It is the best Facebook group. Uh, There are such good conversations. It started out being all about us trying to gin up conversations about the show and stuff. And now uh, it's a really fun community where parents are sharing their own uh, problems and questions, triumphs and fails, uh, even suggesting things that they want to recommend to other parents. We call that recommendations. Uh, So check it out. Go to Facebook, search for Slate Parenting. On our Slate Plus segment today, we're talking to Will Oremus. He's the host of If Then, Slate's technology podcast, and also a tech reporter at Slate. Uh, He has a classic parenting conundrum with his three-and-a-half-year-old boy. Uh, If you want to hear us discuss that with him, you need to be a member of Slate Plus. Uh, It's just $35 for your first year. helps cover the cost of making this show, uh, and it's a great way to get extra segments. No ads on this or any other Slate podcast. Tons of other stuff. If you're not a member, you should be a member slate.com slash mom and dad plus uh if you go there then you can sign up for slate plus we will find out that you are a fan of the show helps everybody uh slate.com slash mom and dad plus okay let's go time now to take a question from a listener this one came to us via email you can email us at mom and dad at slate.com it's being read for us by slate's own katie o'brien dear mom and dad are fighting 
My husband and I have two kids, a son who is 18 months old and a daughter who is two months. My husband is in the military and works the mid-shift, which is 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., Monday night to Saturday morning. Being that he is in the military and has a hands-on stressful job, I feel that I am never the priority. He has no say in his schedule and has a difficulty sleeping when he should sleep. Our days start with my son going to daycare and me taking care of my extremely colicky two-month-old daughter while job hunting and trying to keep her quiet so he can sleep. He wakes up anywhere from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., depending on when he can get to sleep in the morning, and I pick up my son from daycare at 4 p.m. every day. Weekends are him catching up on sleep, me trying to get in some work hours with clients, and struggling to take care of two kids under the age of two who seem to tag-team me. I feel like a single mom and cannot imagine doing this with a new job that my husband keeps pushing me to get. I feel as though I am spreading myself thin, taking care of the kids, cleaning, cooking, job hunting, and trying to schedule work when I can. I wake up with the baby all night long, and she is up mostly all day due to her colic. I am tired, and my husband doesn't seem to ever make me feel appreciated or feel like a real human. On top of this, the baby stresses me out so much with her constant screaming that I feel like I'm not as connected with her than my son and do not feel capable of giving her love. I try and tell my husband how I feel, but he gets mad and I don't have the energy for the argument, nor do I want our only time we spend together to be mad at each other. How do I keep my sanity with all these struggles? What can I do differently to feel better about myself and my parenting? Thanks. I think this question is one of the saddest questions we've gotten on this show in a long time. And we get a lot of very sad questions on this show. Uh, what this writer inner is talking about, sort of wrapped in the parenting question, really is a relationship problem. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that you are describing points to your marriage being in trouble and you really needing to address that first and foremost. I just want to say it is not normal and not okay to not be able to tell your partner how you feel without them getting angry with you. That is the line in this question that flew out to me like a big red flag. Everything else that you're talking about, the lack of support, you doing all of the work, the pressure to get a job, the feeling overwhelmed, the inability to feel like you can connect with a really demanding and fussy baby, it all radiates from this one idea that you are right now in this alone because you don't feel like you're part of a partnership. You don't, um, I mean, it's not just that your partner is absent. Uh, He's actively working against a healthy situation when he is not open to the idea of even discussing your feelings of being overwhelmed. So the only thing that I can tell you to do, and I, I hope that you have access to a resource in this regard, and if not, I would strenuously encourage you to seek one out, reach out to your network. You need to get to counseling immediately or as as soon as to immediately as possible. I would say you should probably talk to somebody with your husband and you should probably also talk to somebody on your own. Because if you are in a situation where you're faced with anger, when feelings are discussed, you need some support personally on your own in addition to addressing the issues that are clearly apparent in this relationship. 
That is the only place you can start. So I'm going to end my advice there because I do think that a lot of the other stuff you're talking about, that sense of being overwhelmed, the not understanding how people manage time, really that is stemming here from the fact that you are not being supported and you are doing all these things on your own and you are also managing what sounds like an incredibly difficult marriage. So uh, get some help, please. Um, and I, I, if you need resources, reach out to your network. If you need help finding somebody, reach out to your network. Do what you have to do to make this a healthier situation for yourself first and foremost. Yeah. I mean, I the thing that, like, the, when I was reading this letter, I kept imagining different stressors stacking up one on one with each sentence in this letter. And so there's, like, the two there's the one kid and then there's the second kid both of them are at ages that are super stressful and then there's the kid the colic and there's not, there's that and then there's like this question of the the husband never being around not being able to help at night because of the work schedule and then there's this like pressure to get a job and then there's you know the the continued breastfeeding and then there's the husband not being able to hear or help with any of this stuff that that felt like a lot of things stacked up. And so my first thought just like technically was like, you got to remove some of these pieces that you're carrying. There's too many things. And so what can you remove? And like the job thing struck me first. I don't, I, I mean, I, I don't, there's, I don't, you know, like <laughs> I don't think you need to be looking for a job right now. That is such a huge endeavor and it takes so much time and space and the super intense, painful, overwhelming, sort of like messy, horrific part of having two little kids, you're in the thick of it and you won't be forever. And so it seems kind of an odd time to feel like you have to somehow account for a job right now unless it doesn't. I mean, it sounds like that's like sort of something that someone is encouraged that your husband's encouraging you to do because he maybe feels like that's going to be awesome. But I don't doesn't seem like it's going to be. So then I started thinking when I was listening to it, like, why, where is this pressure coming from? And, and why, like, why is there this feeling that you have to do this thing? And it, I, I, I like Rebecca, just, I return to this husband and I think this guy's not doing a great job of being a husband. I mean, I, I mean, I honestly feel that way. Like it's not I understand that the work schedule makes it so that he can't be present in certain kinds of ways. But that's not the problem. The problem is when you have emotions or feelings and you need some emotional support, which even can just be in the form of listening and empathizing and understanding and just giving space for he's not available for that. If he's getting mad at you, I mean, that's like another stressor. So like, here's all these, here's kids yelling, here's breastfeeding, here's not sleeping, here's being up all night, here's looking for a job. And then here's your partner getting mad at you. That's not good. And that needs to be dealt with. And I agree with Rebecca that there needs to be like that you, there's two things. One is like, the, your husband's behavior and what needs to be done about that. But before that is like the support that you need and what needs to be done about that. That has to come first. You need support because you have too much to do and not enough support to do it. And I do think that there is a situation in which like nuclear families can become incredibly isolating and the pressure that is put on, on, on particularly like caregiving parents in the nuclear family context 
can be enough to to tear a whole thing apart because there's the whole structure of it is that everything sort of keep everything in the house and it's not a village and everything's inside and we got to figure it out and we're this unit and so I think that there's some advantages to that but I think also there's a lot of increased pressure in that scenario and I think a lot of things fall apart because of that pressure and that's that's what sounds like is happening here to me so I would say the first thing you have to do is you have to figure out how to get support for your own emotional needs in what sounds like a very tough situation. I think after that, other things may become clear about whether or not you should be with this person and whether or not this person should be trusted or what it is you can do or what this person can do about their own inability to be supportive to their partner. Um, I can't imagine that this is gonna, this is not gonna get better on its own. A lot of times with parenting stuff, I say like, well, well, you know, like you're in a tough patch and things are going to get better and whatever. I don't see this being that way. I think this is something you need to actively take steps in order to address. And again, that main step is getting some support for yourself because you're carrying too much right now. Yeah. The one thing I would add to this is um, it's only two months since the baby was born. And, and I, I think you should consider the possibility that you're suffering from postpartum depression uh, and, and you should get checked out for that. Talk to a, a doctor or a therapist or someone who's, who's qualified to, to evaluate that and, and give you some help with that because uh, there's things that they can do that will not solve all of the problems that you describe in your letter, but that will maybe give you a little bit of emotional breathing space to make you feel more capable of addressing some of those problems yourself. Um, can be very serious and difficult, and, and uh, I, I really strongly urge you to, to get that checked out. Um, Beyond that, um, it, it seems to me like, of course, you know, as described in the letter, then it, it seems like your husband is not responding very well to this situation. Also, that both that, that neither of you is is sleeping coherently, and and that's a way in which couples can sort of plunge into into some pretty bad situations together. Um, it, it also seems like um, this is the. Uh, this is you guys are at the frayed edges of our society's failure to deal with how to take care of children and also support a family uh, that, you know, if you need to have two incomes in order to support yourself and you're trying to raise two children, one of them's two months old and, and you don't have a job and he has this uh, work that keeps him out at night. And um, there's just no reason that this, we should think of this as a like possible situation for two humans to deal with. This just seems impossible. And and if you are struggling and suffering with it, then uh, at least you should know that it doesn't seem like something that like, oh, if you were just a little tougher, then you would be able to make this work. It doesn't seem like a workable situation. Um, so I don't know what changes you can make it. I, you know, maybe, it, it, maybe that Carvel is right. And that looking for a job or taking on client work right now is, is if that's something that you can dispense with in order to concentrate on taking care of yourself and your kids, then by all means do that. Um, and, and get to a doctor and, and see what they have to say about, uh, your, your mental health and about the possibility of postpartum depression. Um, I, I think that's all I have to tell you right now, but good luck, and, and I hope things do turn around. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. We've got another a uh, question from a listener. This one came to us over voicemail. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can call us 424-255-7833. Let's hear this one. 
Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. I need your guidance on how to handle a difficult relationship that has developed between my mother and my three-year-old. To give some background, neither of the grandparents on either side live close by. However, we see both grandparents six to seven times a year because they fly in a lot to help us on um, when we go to business trips and they come on the holidays. There's always been a natural gravitation to my mother-in-law. When we FaceTime, he's just naturally happy to see her, brings her up in conversations, and initiates affection with her. My mother has a completely different story. While, while he is capable of having sweet moments with her, he can often be indifferent and more focused on what he's doing or more focused on, you know, what she buys for him than who she actually is. Now, um, now that he's in the tantruming toddler phase, he can be downright nasty to her and say, go home or go away, all of which is just devastating for her. My mom already has struggles with low self-esteem. She's incredibly sensitive and has experienced a lot of rejection in her, in her life. Her relationship with my son almost forces her, I think, to relive that trauma of some of these crappy relationships and seems to feed that sense of worthlessness. I honestly don't know what to say anymore to her or to him. I feel horrible that she spends so much time doing sweet things for him, and this relationship brings her so much heartache. I also feel it's unfair to put so much on my son because he's three, and even though he's precocious, he doesn't understand the implications of his words and his behaviors, nor is it healthy for him to be responsible for filling this void in her life. I want to be careful about projecting, but I have spent my life trying to navigate my mother's depression and self-esteem issues, and I've come a long way on this, but at times I still feel I'm responsible for her happiness, which makes this situation, um, which I feel I have so little control over, really stressful. The last piece is that my son also adores my dad, who only sees him two times a year, and they often travel separately. My dad is just silly with him and in general has a larger-than-life personality, which also awed me as a kid. They're both coming for Thanksgiving, and already I'm anxious about what I should say to my son and how I should navigate my son's rejection of her. Should I ask him why he's mean to her? How should I handle it when he's rude in the past, you know, when we've talked about it? Um, you know, I ask him how he thinks it makes her feel when he screams at her and we write apology letters, but it doesn't feel like it gets through. I also don't know what to say to her anymore. Thanks for your help. Bye. I mean, the short answer here is, um, there's nothing you can do about it. He's three years old. He's not yeah. going to be polite. <laughs> it's not uh, his problem. Thanks, yeah. Thanks for going. It's, and, and there, there's another bigger problem here that, that, that I think we, we need to address. But, but the short version of the, like the direct answer to the specific question is like, this is a three-year-old. Three-year-olds are sometimes rude. They're sometimes like differently nice to some people and, yeah. and then mean to other people. Uh, nothing you can do about it. Give it a couple years, then you can make sure that he is polite to everyone, even if he doesn't like them. But right now he's three, and and that's the answer. Yeah, yeah. Like you're okay. So like, there's two separate issues. One is that your your kid isn't behaving the way you want them to behave. Which welcome to parenting. That's gonna that's never gonna stop. It's just gonna be different ways in which that happens. But the, what I my experience has been that we you know we we manage and teach and learn and groom behavior over years. It's a years long process. It's a little bit like just trimming a tree or something. I've never trimmed a tree, but I'm guessing this is how it works. Try and a so car metaphor. Can't... I bet a car metaphor would work really well here. <laughs> yeah. It's like when your flux capacitor. Um, and so 
And so, and so you're, you know, you're, you're doing all this gardening and tending over years to create, you know, to like influence the way this person grows. And so just saying, so it takes a long time is my point. You can't just say to a three-year-old, don't be mean to grandma. And the three-year-old's like, oh, don't be mean to grandma. Got it. And then from now on, they're always polite to grandma. That's a long-term process and that's fine and that's normal. And I have no doubt that you're engaging in that process with, uh, you know, with efficacy and skill. And I think your kid's going to be fine. There's no reason in this letter that makes me think that they're not. The other, the problem that you're having is that you aren't giving yourself space for that process because you have this habit of being responsible for your mother's feelings and all of her baggage, of which it sounds like there is plenty. And I don't say baggage. I mean, baggage always sounds derogatory, but I don't mean it to be derogatory. But I mean that my point is that this is stuff that she's carrying. Her feelings of rejection and no one likes me and no one gives me what I want. And I, this is not, not, I don't even know if it's true or not, but the point is it's her stuff. And you are quite understandably because it's your mother and there's no harder thing to separate than a mother and child, but you are making it your stuff, which means you are making it your kid's stuff. So that part is messy. (laughs) And that's what's making this hard. If you were to remove that part from the equation, you'd have no problem. And that's kind of what Gabe was getting at with the short answer is like, you you, you have a three-year-old acting like a three-year-old. That's that's the end of the story there. It's like not an issue. So you have to you have to start figuring out how it is that you can disentangle yourself from your mother's stuff. And um, and I think that like you like you said in your letter, you're coming along in that process. And it's like you need to continue to go along on that process and you need to continue to like let her suffer. This sounds so cruel, but it's actually what I've found to be true that like a lot of times people who carry this narrative that everyone is is like bad to them and everyone rejects them. And part of the thing that they do in those relationships is they try and get other people to buy in and protect and manage the world so that they don't have those feelings. And so they throw out these little conversation bombs. Well, I, you know, I would feel so much better if this didn't happen, or it would be just so nice if such and such a person would do such and such a thing. And then you then take the bait and because you now feel responsible for getting them the thing that they want. And I just would, I want to say this super duper clearly, you are not responsible for your mother's feelings. Hmm. Like you're not, you're not. This is a grown person who has been on the earth for a long time. They are an adult. You are not singly responsible for this person's feelings. And you have to begin to disentangle yourself from that feeling of responsibility because it's clouding your judgment both as a parent and as a daughter. I you you could not have nailed it uh, anymore with what you just said there, you know, she's not responsible, and I think she already knows her three year old's not responsible, so she's trying to shape yeah. that. The question yeah. is like, what do you do when you have mm-hmm. a three year old who at Thanksgiving is just demonstrably being more loving to one uh, grandparent than the other? Like this is a, it's a political conundrum in addition to being like a parenting and uh, a child of an adult parent conundrum. And it reminds me of um, when my kids were younger, my mom and stepdad used to want them to come every summer for a week. And every summer it was like this huge like thing where they really wanted them to come for a week. My kids would always be like, oh, it's just so boring. And grandma and grandpa's mm-hmm. house, blah, 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 blah. My mom would take it super personally. And I finally said to her one year, like, 
the way to get the kids to want to come to you is to be a place that kids want to go. So like kids are <laughs> not complicated. Like you have to just like stop trying to feed them black olives at every meal, buy some sugary <laughs> cereal, like do some actual fun activities, like be laid back, let them put their feet on the couch. Like honestly, like you have to just accept that kids are who they are. And when you want them to come to your house and you bring them to like antiques auctions and like lunches at like the club. I mean, like what nine-year-old uh, wants to hang out with like 15 old people talking about like oriental rugs or whatever, like zero nine-year-olds <laughs> want to do that. So I just sort of drew that. I sort of drew that boundary. And I said, listen, you have to like decide what kind of relationship you want to have with these kids. And it's kind of on you to be more appealing if you want them to be interested. And I'm going to let them decide. I'm not going to force them to go somewhere for a week that is going to be miserable for you, miserable for them, and that we all have to hear about the rest of the year and turn into a huge fight. Like, this is the last year. I'm going to, you know, we're going to set it up. They're going to go. But if it's not fun for them, like, I'm not going to make them go back. I'm just not going to. So that was the summer where she, uh, instead of, you know, saying, like, we'll do all these boring things, she actually signed them up for day camps, like, near her. One of them was, like, a... They were, like, very aligned with their interests. One of them was, like, a robotics one, and one of them was, like, a cooking one. So she basically, like, hardly ever saw them when they were visiting, but they just got to do something super cool. And that was when it all kind of turned around. Like, it's not about me being able to take my grandkids around and show them off to people, which is very often, like, what, you know, some grandparents, like, really are mm-hmm. into. It's about them enjoying their life and connecting it with me. <laughs> it sounds manipulative, but that's actually how little mm-hmm. kids uh, can be, their behavior can be shaped is by giving them mm-hmm. positive reinforcement and positive experiences. You know, I say to my mom all the time, don't start our every phone conversation with a 20 minute treatise on the fact that we don't talk enough because it makes me not want to talk to you. <laughs> and it's only when she starts the conversation differently that I stay on the phone. And so those are the kind of boundaries you can set with your own parents, but you really just have to say to your mom, at some point because it's going to come up. Listen, he's three. He's not responsible. You have to be very clear. And the reason he might like this other grandma better is because she's she's making it easier for him to, to like her better. Just relax. It's tough you know? because the sense I get from, from, this, uh, from this call is that the mom in question is a little ahead of where your mom was, Rebecca, um, with your kids. It's, it, it, it says in the voicemail, uh, I feel horrible that she spends so much time doing sweet things for him and this relationship <laughs> brings her so much heartache and he only cares about what she's doing or getting for him. So this mm. is a grandma who is at least sophisticated enough to understand, maybe if I buy them toys, then maybe then this kid will right. love me. Maybe if right. I do this for him, maybe if I do that for him. I think what he's responding to is not that she's trying to take him to the club and talk about rugs with her friends. W- what this kid is responding to- Which sounds to, awesome, by the way. Wh- Sorry, which which sounds me, super cheap. Um, <laughs> I would be super into that at nine, but that's just me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what this three-year-old is responding to, I suspect, is not the fact that it's all boring and old people. He's responding to the fact that what he gets yes. from his grandmother is her own neediness and desperation. Yep. Her angst. Yep. 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 Yeah, that, totally. Like, that, those people, people whose, whose response yes. to the world is like anxious need and 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 like narcissistic need those are not people who make other people feel happy and comfortable being around them and right. exactly. when you're a three-year-old boy you don't have any strategies for like well here's what i do to keep this person basically comfortable and make us have an okay time all, <laughs> totally. all you know is like this person makes me feel bad and anxious and 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 nervous and bad and i just want to get away from her and i want her to go away and go home 
And that's what yeah, you say totally. because you're three years old. And it's very hard to say that to your mom. You can say to your mom, like, sign him up for camp and don't make him go to the club with you. But it's very hard to say, try not to be such a quivering ball of despairing need because, like, <laughs> that, how can you say that to your mom? And even if you could, what would she take from it? Don't we want our kids to, I mean, we, we, we say all the time, like, we want our kids to be able to stay away from situations that make them uncomfortable. We want them to be able to communicate I with know. us about their boundaries. We want them to avoid adults who make them feel weird. And for some yes. reason, we, we keep forcing them in our own families yes, that's exactly right. to be with adults who make them feel weird. And I think that it is a, a, a it's like a, a, a gift you could give your kids when you say, if you don't like spending time with this adult, if it makes you uncomfortable, if it makes you unhappy, like it's, I will help you draw that boundary in some ways and draw, not try to force it, not try to give this grandma equal time and until she figures her stuff out. Like, he should be allowed to draw that boundary. Even, I don't care that he's three. Like, uh, if, the, if it was a creepy, if it was a creepy neighbor who you felt weird about, and your kid was like, you wouldn't think a, a, for but, a second about drawing that boundary. But that would and be like, because you were worried that the creepy neighbor was gonna like harm the kid. Whereas in this sure, case, what what you're worried about is there's some emotional harm. I'm sorry, yeah. there's some emotional harm that can come from this kind of relationship. It's I toxic. Mean, yeah, it is toxic. Yeah, but don't we all have to hang out with people who make us feel bad sometimes? Like as adults, we certainly do. Hmm. <laughs> we do, but but we also get to draw boundaries around how we want those relationships to look. Yeah, don't so we? this is actually, I think, one of the like weird kind of cleaving points of where we are as a society because I think that we all grew up being told in no uncertain terms that we had to spend time with relatives that made us uncomfortable, and like that was like, and that that and that was like not only a duty but kind of a moral duty and you have to deal with it and I know your uncle's weird but just hang out with him and just whatever and so I think that we still carry some of that and I think that I think that <laughs> quite rightfully people have begun to say hold up hold up hold up stop that on all levels that is a th fundamental thing and it's not just about it's not just about safety physical safety which is what kind of like the neighbor example is about but it also is about on a more important level it's about teaching kids to respect and care for their own internal sense of safety and and not to run. I think it's about knowing how to have a little more calibrated nuance about running roughshod over the will of kids and about the way in which we learn to run roughshod over our own will and sense of safety and et cetera. And so I think that as a society, we're collectively being like, well, maybe actually kind of like what Rebecca's saying, like, well, maybe actually we're supposed to be taking these feelings of discomfort more seriously and respecting them and haha, honoring them as opposed to the old school approach, which is like, look, it's going to be tough out there. You got to just suck it up sometimes. You got to teach people how to suck it up. I think that we're just sort of stuck in that, in that, that's where we are kind of collectively in, as an evolution. And like, I feel that I, like I myself was raised very much with the suck it up, suck it up, suck it up. That was like the message about every single thing. And I, and I've not only was that the message, but I also view that as a valuable strategy. And I can even look back and say, it's so great that I sucked it up there. And it's so great how I was in that terrible situation. I navigated through it there by just sucking it up and walking it off and breathing the air and whatever. And I can look at that and say, that was awesome. But what, what I can sit down with my therapist and discover is like, huh, there are also ways in which my suck it up methodology has like made it impossible for me to know what I truly feel. And that has put me actually in dangerous situations with people. 
that has like allowed me to let like let people in my life who are actually shitty people, but I didn't quite realize it because when my little internal sensor was like something's off, I'm not sure I like this person, I'm not sure I want to be around them. I was like, eh, it's fine, suck it up, they're fine, it's great, it's fine, get over it. So I think that there's like, you know what I'm saying? So I think that there yeah. is something really valuable about what Rebecca's saying, and I just want to call out that I'm like each day evolving even more and more towards that. It's really interesting, and 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 it's. Um, I think it's great that we have extrapolated from this narrow situation about a boy and his grandmother to the the bigger stuff that you're talking about about yourself and about our society. Um, and yet, in terms of what you would say to this specific mother with this specific three year old and these specific problems with her own mother, I kind of want to say definitely don't make the kid have any feelings that he doesn't have. Definitely. The goal is not to punish the three-year-old for responding very naturally to a grandmother who makes him feel bad. At the same time saying, well, if your grandmother makes you feel bad, maybe you never have to see her and maybe she's never going to come over again. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily the right thing to do in this situation. I think maybe the right thing to do in this situation is, yeah, grandma's coming over because grandma comes over and she's not going to hurt you. But if you don't like being around her and you want to run away or you want to shout at her or whatever, then I'm not gonna, you're, you're not going to get a punishment for that and I'm not going to discourage it necessarily. Be as nice as you can be is what I would say. But I would say also, yeah, when when kids get older, I mean, I've let my kids choose the kind of relationship they want to have with each of their grandparents. And each of them have chosen very different kinds of relationships with each of their grandparents. And that feels right to me because I didn't get a choice as to whether or not to have a relationship with these people. Like I was born, (laughs) but like they do have a choice. And some of those relationships, I think uh, they're doing a very good job navigating. I mean, sometimes I'm like, oh, it would be nice if you sent one more thank you note or whatever. But like, I can help with those boundaries. And I don't think this mother should say that to her kid. I think she can just help facilitate the boundaries and just not make him feel like he has to carry any of this generational baggage around. It's time now for the part of the show uh, where we recommend things to you. We're still um, figuring out what to call it. Right now I'm thinking we'll call it recommendations. (laughs) What's the etymology of the word recommendation? Uh, It's from the Latin uh, res commendere, which is to speak speak highly of a thing. (laughs) You asked. You fucking asked. (laughs) But actually... <laughs> it does it doesn't count if you ask. I That's get true. to answer. You do. You do, Professor. All you right. do. Explaining what, what are you gonna what are you gonna recommend, Rebecca? Well, my recommendation is actually a series of tips that I just wrote down in response to uh, something somebody put on our mom and dad are fighting Facebook group, which is awesome, by the way. I love those people. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody put a post this week about like they're just starting to teach their teenager how to drive. And the teenager is also going to be taking driver's ed. And uh, this parent was just like, what do I do? Where do I start? What do I do? So my recommendation is just a couple of very simple tips. Um Let the driving instructor do the shit that you have learned to do for yourself and have like your way of doing it or anything that is difficult or causes causes angst. So, for example, let your kids driving instructor teach them how to park uh, parallel park uh, back into parking spaces, which for some reason is like an important skill that you only learn in driver's ed. All those granular things, sort of those weird, uh, obscure signs that you never actually see. Don't worry about that. You teach your kid how to control the car, keep it in its lane, go the right speed, how to get places, how to properly sort of really stop at a stop sign, roll forward a little bit, look left, right, left, and go. Lane control, speed, that is the stuff you should focus on when teaching your kid. Just the basic fundamentals of cars are not scary. It's okay to drive them around. Let the professional handle all the other stuff. Trust me, it will make your time in your car with your teenager 
much better when you're just focusing on the fundamentals of just controlling a car. And seriously, let someone else teach your kid how to parallel park. Just I, I just can't tell you to trust me enough on this. Let someone else do it. Because the way you do it, I promise, is not the way it is being taught. And it is uh, not going to help them when they try to pass that driver's test. All right. Uh, I'm going to recommend a TV show that you should absolutely not, under no circumstances, watch with your child. Even if your <laughs> child is 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 a t- even if your child is 17 years old and is old enough to enjoy this TV show, let them enjoy it by themselves, and and you enjoy it by yourself. But you may find that it gives you more insight into the struggle of your child, especially if your child is around the age of puberty. The show is called Big Mouth. It's on Big Netflix. Mouth. It's an yes. animated series. It's by <laughs> Nick Kroll and some other people. Um, I just got into it the other day, thanks to my colleague Laura Bennett, who who recommended it to me, and Jack Hamilton, who wrote a great piece about it on Slate.com. Uh, it's a show about kids who were in, I guess, seventh grade or, or sixth grade and who were just hitting puberty and the physical changes and the ways they experienced these physical changes in terms of their relationships. It made me for the first time incredibly nervous about what's down the road for me with my kids, who the older one being a few years away from puberty now. Um, but it also, I felt like it gave me some insight into like, oh my God, your whole body just like it goes nuts and the hormones and your whole personality changes and I, I it gave me a different perspective on all this stuff that's coming up and um it's also really funny and I heartily recommend it big mouth on Netflix how about you Carvel um yeah I just want to say my kids love big mouth they think it's one of the greatest shows ever made and they're both they both view themselves as amateur TV critics uh and they are adamant that big mouth is really good and so I haven't had it chance to sit down and watch it, but I just want to like second your recommendation. So uh, I'm going to recommend um, a, I've been wanting to recommend this for a while, but I haven't quite, I've been, I've just been lurking on it, trying to figure out if I think this is a good recommendation or not, but I'm going to go ahead and pull the trigger on it. It's an Instagram channel called, are you ready for this? If you high. And it's about, <laughs> it's literally things that are amazing to look at if you're high. And the the thing that's interesting to me about it is that I'm not high, generally. I'm just not a high person. <laughs> but kids are like they're high, and some of the stuff in there is just fascinating to watch. And it took me Ooh. back to my old days when my kids were little, and I would just show them just any cool thing I could find on on YouTube and on the internet. And I'd just be like, look at this, you know, like, look at this person making paper, or like, look at this, like, long video of, like, a polar bear, like, walking down a hill. You know, and the kids would just sort of, like, sit and stare. And um, If You Hide is not 100% perfect. Some of the stuff is just only interesting if you're a stoner and um but some of the stuff on there is fascinating so what i recommend is that you just follow on instagram the the if you hide channel and then see if if, and there you may find every once in a while one of every 10 things is just something that's like truly beautiful and fascinating to watch a lot of times it's process videos things taking place at factories kind of like reminds me of what they used to have on like sesame street when they'd be like now we're at the paper factory and they do all the like weird machinery and shit which i loved and uh there's some stuff like that and sometimes it's nature stuff and sometimes it's people painting but doing amazing things and sometimes it's weird perspective stuff where someone will like make a sculpture but then the camera 
camera will move and you'll realize that it's this like 3D kinetic thing. And so it's all this stuff that basically is for like college age stoners to be like, whoa, that is so trippy. But so I, I wouldn't say like encourage your kids to follow it because some of it is just dumb. But I would say that you follow it and then every once in a while you'll find something that's like truly beautiful and amazing to look at and you'll want to show it to your kids. So the Instagram channel is if you high. I'm looking at it right now. I'm completely mesmerized. Completely mesmerized. So uh, those are our parenting recommendations, our subscribers tips, an obscene cartoon, and an Instagram channel for stoners. And that's our show. If you have a question that you want us to address, give us a call, 424-255-7833. Sign up for our Facebook group. Go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. People there will be discussing this episode, sharing their own triumphs and fails, uh, solving one another's problems, or perhaps exacerbating them. Go on Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. Our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoie, I'm Gabriel Roth, and we'll see you next week. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.